0: Welcome in a Hardcore Penn State football. The whiteout has come and gone. Penn State demolishing the Golden Gophers 45-17. to 17. Rapid reaction coming your way. What we saw, what we didn't like, what we really did like, and a lot more in that front. Kind of big recruiting news as well as there's over 100 recruits at the game on Saturday. And maybe we'll start looking ahead to a somewhat important game next weekend. Thank you for listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. Sean will be joining me in just one second. In a hardcore Penn State football, I'm Corey Lestoki with me as always. The great sh- and potentially hungover Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean?
1: Great mornings follow great evenings, Corey. Just put it that way. Um, very happy it's a victory Sunday though. And congratulations out to Mike. Yeah,
0: for, for people that are unaware, uh, we were at a wedding this past weekend on Saturday, and um, you know I think it was the best case scenario as far as what could have happened. Like it was a nail biting game, and I I think that's like the best thing. We were able to celebrate a wedding. We were able to celebrate an absolute beat down in a whiteout environment. It was one. It wasn't one of those games where I felt like man, I can't believe I missed watching that live. I think it was a it was a perfect game in my opinion, Sean. On a game that's fine to come back to the next day and watch it and feel like you didn't really miss that much um, in the moment. Obviously, watching the Whiteout live is something of its own, but as far as Whiteouts go, I don't want to call it uneventful, but it wasn't necessarily late-minute drama that we're, we're used to, uh, one-score game drama that we're used to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the Whiteout kind of gets reputation for – the dramatics and look that there were some great plays made for sure, but the close games and wasn't really that way. And it was welcome because on top of it being a whiteout game and on top of us being preoccupied that, that day, um, it was a get right week and we really, we really needed a game like this in between, uh, what happened at Michigan and what we have coming ahead because, we have a decent opponent coming in this week. You might have heard of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think the the listeners are already starting to kind of talk about that game. I mean, the, the, we, we opened it up to fan questions this week, and, and immediately the talk kind of already transitioned to the Ohio State game, which is only, you know, it's only human natural. But at the same time, we want to, you know, this is the whiteout. This was a big game. This was a game going in where people – I mean, Donnie Collins, we love him. He's a big fan of the show. He actually took Minnesota to win this game, and this was a game a lot of people had a lot of question marks coming in as far as whether or not a James Franklin-led team that was 3-5 and uh, after losses, after the first loss, how they would respond. And so, in a way, it was a huge litmus test. In a way, there was – a lot of a lot of doubt coming in whether Sean Clifford was going to be the guy. There was there was a lot of question marks coming in and across the board, Sean, and obviously question marks defensively, especially in the running game and across the board, Sean. Pense passed the test.
1: It was a lot of answering the bell this week. Uh, Sean Clifford has um, obviously been under a lot of scrutiny, uh, some fair, some, in our opinion, not fair. Uh, he was booed uh, in introductions, and I'm sure we have thoughts on that. Uh, James Franklin was booed in introductions. Uh, the receivers had a lot to prove. They've been criticized by people who know some stuff. That it's not always on the quarterback when the passing game isn't isn't um, up to up to snuff. The receivers weren't making plays last night. They did. Parker Washington had it. One of those catches we were waiting for. And so did, and Mitchell Tinsley had a great catch. Uh, the tight ends. We started throwing the tight ends. And the linebackers stepped up. I was super impressed by the linebackers. And I have been, you know, pretty hard on them. But all of them made some plays. Uh, and Including a guy like Jonathan Sutherland, Tyler Elliston. They've both been under a lot of heat the past couple weeks. Um, so it was... Uh, Daquan Hardy I thought had a decent game uh, he got to start uh, this week uh, so there was a lot of answering the bell and our guys being backed up against the wall uh, getting criticized by the fans by the media and they responded and that's really positive because that's the sign of a team that has a lot of intestinal fortitude and I didn't know if they'd have it um, I really didn't I didn't feel good about this when I picked us to win but I didn't feel good about it, and they showed they have guts, and you need guts to have a good team.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, you do, and I think, you know, we said before this game that we thought that, you know, Penn State was not going to play as poorly as they did against Michigan. I just, we just really didn't think that was, that was going to be possible, and we didn't know to the extent of how well they would play. But, but clearly, they figured some things out defensively. Uh, They had a somewhat slow start offensively, uh, but when you go and watch the plays, it was definitely a different kind of three and out in those first two series than it was at Michigan. It it, it really was a simple, simply uh, a boneheaded play by Mitch Tinsley um, in that first third and five, and we'll get to all that, Uh, but it was different offensively, and because they were able to convert they were able to then do some fun things that, that Sean and I were just texting about actually uh, and that makes a difference when you get first downs you can have fun you can you know run end rounds you can run screen passes you can do you can take shots downfield which Penn State did a lot more of in this game and uh and, and the end result was points the most points in fact ever in a whiteout game the most before this was the 2013 overtime 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 game against uh overtime. Game against Michigan. So really, this is by a you know, by far one of the, the biggest, you know, total points scored in a whiteout. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh this was a big game. And I, I think it's easy to look ahead to Ohio State and to be like, OK, now what? But literally a week ago, Sean, people were saying, oh, Ohio State's going to beat us by 50. We're not even going to beat Minnesota. We should forget about this season, and we should just move on to 2023. Start Drew the rest of the year because this season is lost. I mean, we heard that over and over again, that this season was over. Forget about it. And all of a sudden, what a difference a week makes. And now people are asking us all these questions about Ohio State, like they're actually interested and they actually think Penn State might win. So find that pretty funny.
1: And it's like, what was the the quote that we used last week? uh, You're never as bad as you think you are when you lose, and you're never as good as you think you are when you win. We have to consider that this week, though, because we looked really, really good yesterday uh, for big stretches of the game. And are we that good all the time? No, we're not going to be that good all the time, but it's about finding consistency and um, finding an identity. And... James, you know, and I think you saw the identity, especially on offense, of what we want to have, and that's being able to run the ball with two stud running backs, and Sean Clifford being able to make plays when he's called upon, and that's and the receivers making plays and having a good offensive line performance. It was the fourth game of the season where the offensive line hasn't given up a sack for Sean Clifford, hasn't gotten Sean Clifford sacked. And, yeah, and then defensively, uh, you know, I I believe we talked about it on Wednesday, spot. I hope I hope we did Uh, on defense, the whole unit watched film together this week. And I think that's I think that was a smart idea on Manny Diaz and James Franklin's part, because there when there's so many issues with being lined up correctly and missed gap assignments, a lot of times it's just guys not being on the same page. And they definitely seem like a way more cohesive unit to, uh, on Saturday. So big credit to really everybody. And our boy, Jake Penninger making a 40 plus yard kick and it just got him, but that's enough. <laughs> and um, yeah, so all around very, very good performance. And I, I was, I was sincerely impressed.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I think the beginning of these episodes, I've been talking a little bit more about, uh, I don't know, things that frustrated me or, or we've been going maybe on the hotter takes to start things off. So let me just get into the, the one thing that upset me, Sean, this week, and you already kind of hinted on it. Um, and that's the booing of Sean Clifford and James Franklin. I can understand. Well, I can't understand booing somebody because I don't boo people. Besides maybe the officials, but I don't boo anybody on my team that I'm rooting for, regardless. I get the booing James Franklin. I, I can understand why people are frustrated in that regard, and they think that's something that they should they should do. I don't condone it, but whatever. at least he's a grown man. he's making a buttload of money to make the right decisions to lead the team, to win games, et cetera. It's his job, whatever. Don't like it, but whatever. However. In a whiteout environment with your six-year quarterback, the booing of your starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, was embarrassing. Embarrassing. There's no other way around it. I don't care if you think he's the worst quarterback in college football. At the very least, that dude has left blood, sweat, and tears for multiple seasons uh, for your Penn State and Lions, he you can argue a lot of things about his arm talent and his ability to read defenses and the decision making all you want. You cannot argue his effort. You cannot argue his heart. You cannot argue his loyalty to the program. And at the very least, in his final wideout game, he deserved to not get booed um, when the starting lineup was introduced. So to me, that was that was crap. That's just no other way around. It was crap. It, it's one thing you boo him after an interception, whatever, you're, you're frustrated, whatever. To boo him before the game had even started. when the, We already talked about the game they lost to Michigan wasn't even his fault. It wasn't like he came on through four picks against Michigan. Um, this the, That was the low to me, Sean. And I, I think Penn State fans can do better than that. I think they need to do better than that because that, to me, was pretty low for a guy that has given – just as much to the program as trace McSorley has, as far as his effort is concerned, maybe he hasn't won the big 10 championship to make him look as good as trace, but he's put in, in my opinion, just as much effort and just as much time in, and he deserves some more respect than that. So, uh, and then, you know what, he comes out and he ends up throwing for four touchdown passes and nine yards, 9.1 yards per attempt and, and blows the door off, blows the door off of Minnesota. So, um, Credit him for not just rebounding after the booing, but rebounding after the interception. And and you know what? You can you can think Drew Aller should start right now, but to me, you shouldn't be booing your starting quarterback. That at the very least
1: is an awesome guy. Yeah, um, booing James Franklin, I really don't care. Um, I I really. I couldn't care less, to be honest. He's a grown man. He's a professional. He's making money. He's making $8 million a year. If somebody, you know, and you hear a lot of times, oh, well, if somebody booed you at your job. If I was making $8 million a year and somebody booed me for every mistake, I would take that every day of the week. That's just me. Just, have I ever booed James Franklin? I don't think so. No, I haven't. I haven't booed him, especially not in pregame introductions. I just think that's a little... Unnecessary. If the team's not playing well, I understand booing during the game because, in my mind, that's booing, the, that's booing the coach and booing being unprepared. And in my mind, that's fair. I didn't like booing Sean Clifford. I, I, I don't like it, especially during introductions. Like this guy is a competitor and he's laid the foundation for NIL. And getting the school up to where we need to be. And he is, from all accounts, a terrific person. And look, is he a terrific quarterback? He, he He's not. Um, But he's a better quarterback than people give him credit for. And he doesn't deserve to get booed. I mean, he's our starting quarterback. It's before the game starts. And I don't think that's the time to be booing your quarterback. And... You know, but it all goes back to there are people who didn't want him to come back and they're they're looking for the. And we said before the season started, as soon as he slips up, they're all going to be out with the knives trying to stab him with the back, trying to stab him in the back. And that's. That's um that's what happened. And it was too bad to see. And. I agree on our biggest platform, which is the Whiteout game. It's the 7:30 ABC start. Now, it wasn't on it, it, that part wasn't shown on TV, but I believe Greg McElroy did talk about it. Um, it's just not a good look, and you have over a hundred recruits there. I mean, you just don't do that. Now, do I think booing head coaches happens at other schools? I, yeah, I do. I mean, Dan Mullen got fired at Florida, and everybody hated Dan Mullen. And he was a decent coach there, and he got he got fired. I'm, positive i don't know for sure but i'm positive he got booed um so don't mind the franklin booing clifford booing i don't like it especially before the game starts like Corey said if you want to boo after the interception i mean i guess i understand it but not before the game you have to go into every game hoping and hoping for the best for your guy and supporting him
0: yeah, that that I mean we don't have to dwell on it for for very long or anything like that, but uh yeah, it just uh, it's silly to me. And it, it it's not if this guy was if Sean Clifford was a jerk, you know, whatever, maybe you could That's indif- true
1: too. If he had a bad attitude, diff- it's a little different.
0: <laughs> yeah. But he's he's the complete opposite of that. So, um well, I mean people are going to probably take that some bite and again just think we're huge Sean Clifford supporters. And you know what we are. Huge Sean Clifford supporters from the standpoint of his personality and who he is as a person. Absolutely. Uh, We don't think he's the best quarterback in the world. We think he's actually pretty much an average quarterback. But like Franklin said after the game, when Franklin was asked about it, he said a lot of teams in college football would want Sean Clifford as their quarterback. Whether or not fans want to agree with that or not, that's the truth. And I thought there were times in this game, Sean, where, where Sean Clifford really kind of stepped up and showed why he is the starter we'll get to those a little bit later um so basically for everyone we'll, we'll talk offense defense and special teams uh then we'll talk a little bit more Clifford specific we'll get into some fan questions we do have a five star review we'll, we'll we'll read on the show a little bit later and then perhaps we'll uh we'll look ahead to Ohio State just a smidgen um let's talk offense first Sean, because they're on the field first. It took them a little bit but they eventually got going the big storyline coming out of this that everyone's going to talk about is the tight ends i mean just out of nowhere the tight ends became a huge part i mean this was probably the best tight end game since the auburn game in uh in 2021 and i i think this one was probably honestly even better because it was theo johnson getting a touchdown it was tyler warren getting a touchdown Brenton Strange technically only had one catch because they accepted the offsides penalty, but he had another catch that was that was nullified. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they were all over the place. And so they blocked it actually a little bit better, in my opinion, as well, especially Brenton Strange compared to the Michigan game. Uh, but, but Sean, the tight ends heavily involved. Minnesota was trying to run a lot of cover too early, and they were just cover two daggers with seam routes over the middle, post routes over the middle uh, in that first – really in that second quarter.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked um, after last week about how puzzled we were that the tight ends weren't uh, targeted more. And hey, I mean, it turns out when you target your tight end, your extremely talented tight ends, good things happen. And they did. So, Theo, like, this is the Theo Johnson I was really hoping we would see this year. I was really singing his phrases in the off season, And I mean, he's been banged up, so it hasn't really been fair to him but he hasn't really come on this year. He he did. on He did on Saturday night. So he really, really came to play. Uh, Tyler Warren had that long touchdown as well. So yeah, your tight ends are playmakers and you got to, especially when your receivers, um, you know, so far as year, last night, they did play well, but so far this year have been disappointing. Yeah. That means you have to get other guys involved and they're, some of them and there's some of the most ta- it's one of the most talented groups on this team, so big credit to Mike Iriscott for seeing that. And like you said, they attacked the seam. That the seam was seemingly seemingly you know um, open all night, and we um, took advantage. So and Clifford got the ball there. So big credit to them. Uh, Clifford's pass to Theo Johnson that was a laser for the touchdown. So um, yeah, yeah, he had a, he had a couple.
0: A couple lasers at Theo Johnson over the middle, which is nice yeah. to see thrown with confidence. Um, if you guys are watching on YouTube, first of all, thank you for those that are watching on YouTube. And I think i have seen a couple comments. Gregory Balls hanging out in the chat. We appreciate that. Um, I just kind of like yawned there, but I'm, my ears are still haven't popped since the airplane ride earlier today. So if you see me doing that, that's why I'm looking like an idiot on the live stream. Um, yeah. And I wanted to point out that Mike Yersuch talked to the media last week. Specifically about the tight end play or the lack of tight end play. And he talked a lot about hey, we got to use the tight ends to help pass protect in certain situations. So they're not the primary receiver uh when it when you know when it comes to, to running routes and, and, and the quarterback progression. So to me, what that meant was they weren't worried about the Minnesota pass rush in the same regard that they were worried about the Michigan pass rush because those guys from the get-go were out running routes. I mean See, I mean, Theo Johnson was lined up at at that, you know, the true tight end spot, Brent Strange next to him, and both of those guys were going out routes not chipping or anything like that helps them get down the field a little bit quicker. But regardless of, of how much that made a difference, I mean, it was obvious that they, they wanted to get those guys involved more. I also would like to argue that this explosion happened because Minnesota ran a lot of zone in that first half, and Michigan really didn't run simple base cover too like that very much at all and also a lot of those big plays happened maybe in second and short and in situations that favored Penn State Penn State wasn't really in, in a lot of those situations against Michigan so um I think keep staying on schedule is one thing I think uh beating zone coverage is one thing I am curious Sean if Ohio State for example comes out in a lot of man coverage I'll be curious to see how well they do against man coverage Um, And winning those matchups, I I think. Theo Johnson could hold his own, uh, but I'm curious, you know, does Tyler Warren, uh, you know, consistently beat players uh, from the Buckeyes defensively? I'm not really sure. So I'm curious if Ohio State's going to end up coming out in zone and we actually will talk a little bit more on one of the fan questions this week about it. Um, But. Yeah, I mean, the the tight ends were there, and and I think it helped Sean Clifford kind of get in a good rhythm. And get some confidence. I thought in general, Sean, from the get-go, they threw more early in the um in the series. I mean, they 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 threw a quick pass to Parker Washington in the first drive. They threw a quick pass to Tinsley in the second drive, um, just to get Clifford some easy throws. And I think that I think that was big because A, it wasn't just a run up the middle, and B, it got Clifford just to see some completions, just to see some just to get some rhythm behind it get get and also get some of the receivers involved earlier to feel like they're actually a part of the game.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's kind of offensive coordinator one-on-one for how to get my quarterback into rhythm. It's just having complete easy high percentage passes. And that's what we did. Now, he did uh, Clifford did struggle early. Um, as did the offense as a whole. First two drives were three and out. And then the third drive, he threw a terrible interception where he just way overcooked overcooked the ball and it was picked off in double coverage. Um, But, you know, Sean Clifford is one of those guys. And I told Corey at the wedding, I was like, I think it's time maybe we put him on the bench. And that's because I thought he was injured and he wasn't playing well. And I thought it might be the injury. And I wasn't watching the game. But James Franklin stuck with Cliff, and it did work out because Cliff, a- after those, he threw a bad pass. He threw a bad pass uh, that was almost picked off. And then the next throw was, one, was his first laser to Theo Johnson, and then after that, he was good. It was, <laughs> it's just, he's a hard guy to figure out because he's just your typical college quarterback. Right. And he's going to have his ups, he's going to have his downs, and when he has his ups, you're like, oh, look at this. And then he has his downs, and you want to pull your hair out. And last night, you kind of got the full good Sean Clifford experience.
0: Yeah, I, that I, that throw was the Harrison Wallace that was almost picked off. I still wasn't sure if there was just some miscommunication there, as far as like Harrison Wallace didn't seem like he was running full speed. And then there was some contact early, but it just seemed like Harrison Wallace didn't really know what to do so, I don't, I don't know what happened on that one, but yeah, I mean that interception happened. Then he ends up going 19 of 26 for 277 yards and four touchdowns, which, I mean, you can't have a, a bigger turnaround, I don't think. So uh, yeah, I think, I think that was good. And, and honestly, again. We said he needed help after the Michigan game, and and what did the receivers do? The tight ends we already spoke about, but what did the receivers do? They go and make plays for him. This was the first game, Sean. Really, the entire season. You can look and look. I mean, maybe yep. you could say some Purdue, but not to the yeah, certain Purdue game. not to the extent we saw tonight. I mean, they got the ball um, out of Clifford's hands fast. And then when he did have to hold on to it, people got open and they made some plays for him. I mean, Parker Washington got the ball early, got it off to thinking it was seven catches. First real jump ball throw for a touchdown, Parker Washington's first touchdown of the season. Clifford hung in the pocket, took a shot, just gave his guy a chance. What We said on Twitter it was kind of like McSorley-like because, I mean, it was just a one-on-one and my guy's better than your guy. And and he made the play. I thought the one to Tinsley. Clifford made him jump off sides. A free play. Tinsley goes and makes a one-handed catch. I mean, there were there were moments like that where you're like, okay, here we go. Um, even some of Theo Johnson's. The one catch of Theo Johnson was a pretty back shoulder, nice throw, but a nice catch as well. Um, I think there's only one drop I was upset with, and I want to say it was I I don't, I think it was a second and five, uh, early in the game, and Clifford threw it to Tinsley. He threw it behind Tinsley, I think, to shield him. And and McElroy actually didn't pick up on that. But, that, I mean, it hit Tinsley right in the hands. But it actually, you know, Tinsley actually turned his back away from the defender and it probably saved him from getting smacked. Um, and that one needed to be caught. But otherwise, I thought Tinsley did some really good things. Parker Washington did some really good things. Uh, and, and even Trey Wallace, you know, had some moments, too. So, yeah, that was big time. That You could argue coming out of the Minnesota game that the thing that feel the best about is the receiving slash tight end core because for the first time we saw some explosion. For the first time we saw them being able to actually dominate the game and actually con- not just contribute, but make a difference in the game. And and that took so much pressure off, off of Sean Clifford. Um, I think that just the overall confidence in the passing game has completely changed now and literally changed at the exact right moment. Right. I mean, you can't ask for a better time, Sean.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about like over the years. Um, One of the things that Penn State fans always wonder is, God, how are those Ohio State quarterbacks always so good? Well, look at the receivers. I mean, Chris Olave and um, Michael Thomas and Garrett Wilson, like, and they to they have had good quarterbacks but how many times do you watch them and be like wow what a catch every game multiple times because they have freaks at wideout and look we had Jahan he's he's in that class that those ohio with those ohio state guys but nobody on this roster is and that's not a shot or anything that's just the truth i mean there's not a first round pick receiver on this team we're probably even a second round pick and Ohio state, they grow them up. They they grow them like trees and that's a credit to their program. That's a credit to one of, uh, to former Dolphin, Brian Hartline, uh, great receivers coach. Uh, he was, he was a pretty good receiver himself at Ohio state. Um, and if we have guys that could make circus catches, that's going to make Sean Clifford or any quarterback look a hell of a lot better than they actually are. And, you know, not a shot at C.J. Stroud or anything, but yeah, that that receiving court, having a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. out there, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba goes out, Marvin Harrison Jr. comes in and the offense doesn't skip a beat. That's because they have so many great receivers. And it really last night really underscored for the first time this year how different your quarterback could look when you have receivers that can make plays
0: yeah yeah, I, I mean, there's just no there's no way around it. and and when you got, have guys that make plays, obviously that that makes things easier for the running game as well. So uh, the running game, I thought sean was was maybe one of the better performances because it, it showed the benefits of both of the true freshman running backs. It, it showed what singleton Singleton can do in space and it showed what Catron Allen can do between the tackles. I thought, one of the biggest plays in this game was when Catron Allen ran over uh, the the safety, I think it was Howden, who he just flattened. I mean, he made a decision. He made a business decision to run him over. Like you, you could almost see a, a, a millisecond pause on how do I want to handle this dude, and he chose violence, and he just he just took him out and uh, ran him over, got the first down and that set the tone for the rest of the game the very next run he i think he picked up another 12 yards and a first down um that to me was like a oh yeah moment and i think the crowd felt felt it i think the defense felt it i think the offense felt it um and that was pretty much continued for the rest of the game in the second half i don't really know how much penn state even really tried to throw the ball they were able to run the ball pretty consistently the whole second half so um yeah, I mean, both of those guys ended up doing some really good things. Singleton had the nice catch on the screen. He also had two really nice runs for touchdowns. Um, but but it, it, it's, a, uh, it, it's a true lightning and thunder backfield right now, Sean. And I think they complement each other so well. I, I don't think Singleton's as good without Catron Allen, and I don't think Allen is as good without Singleton. So it, it's a perfect situation to be in right now.
1: Yeah, uh, last night during the wedding, Uh, That drive is actually the only the only one till the fourth quarter that I saw live because I had to use the restroom. And then when I was walking back, I was like, and the bar was right there. I stopped and just watched the drive on TV and I was like, a running back screenplay. Yes, like an old school play that's been around forever that. That if executed correctly could really, really work. And you have a guy like Nick Singleton. And I knew as soon as we completed it, and I saw the convoy from him, I was like, "This is going to be a big play." And it was. And um, yeah, you yeah, could argue a, that
0: could have honestly been even been a bigger play too.
1: It could have been because Mitchell Tinsley downfield blocking, he didn't hold his block. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I
0: think he ran a like a route, a diversion route, and so I don't know if he ever really had a chance to get
1: the block. Yeah, it might be that. But, I'd have to go and see.
0: But, I mean, it looked like he, I think, I don't, I think it was, I don't know if it was, it was Warmly or, or I think it was Wallace that was still running down the field and was trying to find someone to block. I thought maybe if Singleton cuts it left, he might be able to run for days still. But, um, yeah. but yeah, either way.
1: Yeah. So getting the running backs involved in the passing game, like that's, that, that that's huge. And, um, yeah, last night was really what you want to see from uh, those two stud backs because you're right, they do complement each other so well. And their stats are very similar. Singleton had 13 carries for 79 yards, two touchdowns. And k Allen had 15 carries for 77 yards. Uh, he didn't score a touchdown, but he had some big first downs. Like you said when he ran the guy, o- ran the guy over, uh, and he he just picks up tough yards. He's kind of an old-school back. And I think a lot of Penn State fans really appreciate a hard, you know, hard nosed back like him. And Nick Singleton, he's the playmaker. And he showed and he got out of this little little mini funk he was having. And I think he's back on track and just in time for the Ohio State
0: game. I mean, you just I mean, again, you could say that a bunch about this game. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be after a loss. Like you're supposed to have a get right game but how many times had it not been that way? But this one literally was offensively. I mean, the receivers, the tight ends, the running back, Nick Singleton, obviously really rebounding. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, it, it was it was pretty much perfect because, again, when they have some sort of balance offensively, they're pretty good running the ball. But when they can't throw the ball and, and keep some of those safeties out of the box, then they really struggle to run the football. So, Uh, The receivers and tight ends showing up big, especially the tight ends because those safeties think twice about parading into the box when they, when they're worried about six foot six Theo Johnson running by them. So um, yeah, I I thought the running game was good. I I want to spend some time on the offensive line, Sean, because again, this is the fourth time this season that the offensive line has not allowed Sean Clifford to be sacked. Now, that is a little bit of an asterisk because that Drew Aller was sacked in the Central Michigan game, but also an asterisk because Sean Clifford literally bailed them out on the one play where he was dead to right, should have been sacked, and he just outmanned that dude, just 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 threw him off of him and was able to throw the ball away and live for another day. That That's something that doesn't show up on the stat sheet in the box score um, and doesn't show up on Twitter or anything like that. We didn't know until we watched that game over. Um, but all in all, the offensive line has continued to do a really good job in pass protection. I thought pretty much the entire game, there wasn't that many moments where I was like, man, that was just that was just blatantly bad. And that comes with again Landon Tangle not playing, Hunter Norzad getting the start at left guard. That comes a little bit later when we saw uh, Caden Wallace go down. And I don't know if we have an update there or not. But then Bryce Effner, who was playing some right guard for Sal warmly, Uh, went to right tackle and warmly came back in at right guard. So we've already seen Sean, the depth really play a big role this season and so far so good.
1: Absolutely. And that's what kind of made it so impressive uh, because Caden Wallace got hurt and Sal warmly was out for a while. I don't, I don't know why, uh, but he just wasn't in. And then when Wallace went out, he came back in and they, like you said, they kicked after back over to tackle Oh, he didn't have Landon Tengwa. Um, and I thought Hunter that did a really good job filling in. But you, Scruggs had a really good game. It felt like a lot of holes, backs were following him. And that's really what you want in a center. And he he did his thing. And Olufashanu is Olufashanu. Olufashan, Olufashan, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be rock solid. And that's... that's 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 what you get, guys. Um, yeah, the only mistake I remember Efner having was on the play where Cliff should have been sacked. He kind of whipped on the block. But Cliff bailed him out and was able to get rid of the ball. So it was no harm, no foul. And like Corey said, like those are the types of plays that win you games. Just throwing the ball away. And Cliff, to his credit, he didn't try to force the ball somewhere where there wasn't anything because that, that could happen. In fact, we've seen Cliff do it. And um, he didn't do it. So, overall, really, really good game by the offensive line. And it was a get-right game for them, too, because they got bullied pretty bad by Michigan, uh, especially in run blocking.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, Olufashinu, or, yeah, Fashinu. Gotta make sure we say that right now because we keep sitting wrong for so long. Um there was that one play where, where Minnesota brought some pressure, but they also ran a stunt. And Norzad and Fashion who pass it perfectly, and then he Fashion just just crumbles that defensive tackle and then just pretty much lays on top of him. And I'm like, that is just that's just beautiful to see. We didn't see enough of that for a long time. So I Sean, you know. In, this, in the in the season preview show, I said that this offensive line is going to be really good. Um, I know the Michigan game was bad. I don't th- you know expect the Ohio State game to be perfect. They're going to be really challenged with, with with what Ohio State's going to bring to the table. I don't know if they need to play great against Michigan and Ohio State to be considered really good. I would argue they would if they played good against Michigan, and Ohio State. You would call them great. I'm not, I didn't say they were great. I, th- I said they were really good. I think if they put together a really good November, you could argue that this offensive line ends up being really good. Um, again, only nine sacks given up so far this season. That's 23rd best in the country. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I couldn't probably tell you the last time Penn State ranked in the top 25 in, in sacks allowed at any point in the season. So, I mean – a you got to feel good for them because they are getting better i know sometimes fans don't like to see it but go look at the yards per carry it's way up i mean nick Singleton's still averaging 6.8 yards per carry for the season i mean that's that's just incredible the sacks are way down just i mean i mean look at all the katron allen runs i mean they're all i mean there's holes for for katron allen to actually hit and that's that's a good – I mean, it's a step in the right direction, and if they can continue to take steps in the right direction, you feel better about Drew Aller next year actually having some help up front. So, to me, that was a big step. It was a, maybe a a validation for me, right? We we saw them play good. Then we saw them, again, struggle against Michigan. How are they going to respond? And they kind of validated me like, yeah, you know what? They, they didn't play well out there. Uh, but I will say this, Sean. I think the – Ability, as we see Ryan Sheard actually comments here, dominating the line of the scrimmage was was the, the was the difference in the game. I thought offensively, um, it was really the fact that Sean Clifford could use a different cadence, uh, getting to go on two, getting to go on one. I thought that made a huge difference. The Minnesota defense line was not flying off the ball the same way Michigan was, going on the road and having to use pretty much a a dumbed down version of your cadence or or using a clap and and not being able to play with it really hurts you, especially hurts your offensive line. It kind of puts you a half a step behind. And, and I think that really helped them. And that's something you're thinking about moving forward and talking to Ohio state, Penn state's at home. They will get the benefit of having to use their cadence and, and maybe getting a half step up on the defensive line. Unlike how it was uh, when they were on the road at Michigan.
1: Yeah, that's one of those little things that could lead to big things. Um, You know, having your cadences, um, you know, doing something that you're familiar with. Um, I also want to point out that last night on Singleton's last run, uh, Sean Fitz pointed this out on Twitter, Vega Ione, uh, I hope I'm saying that name right, he was in at guard. And he's, for those that don't know who he is, he's a true freshman. So the other thing, like you talked about Drew Aller for next year, I think he's gonna be okay as far as protection goes. Like I think guys like Drew Shelton, you hear a lot of hype about him. A lot. Uh old fashioned. I mean, is he gonna come back? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um if he's projected to be a first round pick, I'd lean toward no. But you never know. Uh Landon Tangwall's back. Uh don't know if Drew Scrubs is eligible to come back or not. He's another guy he might want to try, you know, try for the NFL. But I think we're going to be okay next year on the line. I do. Uh, But that's kind of looking ahead a little bit. Um, But, yeah, it's good to see the true development of an offensive line. Because we've waited so long just for an offensive line to be like this. Like, we've just wanted a good one. Because we all know what it feels like to have a bad offensive line. And it handcuffs your offense in so many different ways. And we have a good one. Uh I think it remains to be seen how good. I think we'll have a clear answer after next Saturday night, how good they are.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um I thought tempo was a big part of it too. I said I mentioned the cadence. I wanted to mention tempo. Parker Washington even said afterwards that he thought they're at their best when they can run tempo. I think Sean Clifford is a dangerous quarterback. I, I I'm not saying he's a a great quarterback, but in those moments when he completes one or two passes, I mean, it's like a video game where like he has like a, uh, like a, like a hot streak activated button or something like that. And he completes like two throws. All of a sudden he's elevated his game when they're in tempo because he can go tempo with his pre-snap experience read a defense before the defense is honestly 100% set and, and, and comfortable with what they want to do, and then he can attack you exactly where he wants to attack you, especially now in the second year under Mike Gersich. So the tempo to me is a huge, huge part of of the game moving forward. You can only run tempo, though, when you get first downs. You can't run tempo from the first play of, of the uh, – Of the drive. So you got to get that first first down. I mean, uh, it reminds me kind of like Bill O'Brien back in there, that NASCAR offense, I think they called it. You got to get that first first down before you can do that. So uh, I wanted to mention tempo. But Sean, I also really wanted to mention the play calling, the diversity of play calling. Obviously, the tight ends were heavily involved. The uh, end around Omari Evans was fun. I thought that was cool. You mentioned the screen pass to Singleton, but that was actually kind of like a little fake bubble screen to the left side before they threw the screen to Singleton, which I thought was a nice little extra wrinkle because they they like to throw those bubble screens. Uh, They actually didn't end up throwing very many bubble screens uh, against Minnesota, but that was a nice little wrinkle. Uh, They ran the the, the trot line formation, as we've called it, uh, to pick up that first down. Uh, But to me, what I really wanted to emphasize, Sean, was we talked about Kirk Sciarocca coming back in this game. you know, Was he going to have some wrinkles up his sleeve? you know, Was Mike Yersich going to be able to respond to some criticism? And if you're going to do a battle of offensive coordinators or who you think Penn State got the right guy, because some people on the beat were saying, maybe they got the wrong guy. Maybe they should have kept Kirk Sciarocca. To me, Sean, I know that he was on the road and he had a young quarterback. I thought Kirk Chiracca's play calling was very bland. It was very similar to what we had seen when he was at Penn State. I mean, I get it. You got a young quarterback. You don't want to make mistakes. You got a really good running back in Mo Ibrahim who eventually had 30 rushes. Um, But they were super ultra conservative. I mean, from the get-go and and throughout the entire game. I get third and long. You don't want to take a shot. You just live for another day. But first down was was way too often. Um where was them going to Moe Ibrahim. And especially after they saw that, that, that the eighth kid, I'm not going to even try to say his last name, that, uh, that he was having some, some success running the read option in that, that last drive. And I thought they did not try to run that nearly enough in that second half. So to me, just as a Penn state fan, looking in at the situation, obviously with some, some known bias here, I think Penn state ended up getting the right guy. Um, I, I thought Kirk Sharaka especially since Kirk Sharaka doesn't know Manny Diaz, but knows James Franklin, knows how James Franklin prepares. There was no wrinkles, really. There was They ran uh, one Mo Ibrahim uh, wildcat play. But otherwise, there was, there was nothing crazy that really got you like, oh, yeah, Kirk Sharaka had that one up his sleeve for a while. What were your thoughts, Sean?
1: I was pretty unimpressed by Minnesota's coaching staff as a whole. Uh, Kirk Charaka, like you said, very unimpressive, and I understand you're going to be a little bit more limited with uh, having a young quarterback who literally hasn't started a game in like four years, like going back to high school, because in 2020 he didn't have uh, his senior year due to COVID. Um, but then you gotta you gotta play to your player strengths, and. If you watched last week, one of the things Penn State struggled with and we frankly struggled with last night a little bit was setting the edge with on read options and keeping an eye on the quarterback. And they did it on the touchdown drive and then they just barely did it again. Like, no, like that's not what you do. And they just kind of tried to feed Ibrahim, which I mean, it made sense to give the ball to him a ton because he's their best player. But you have to play to your quarterback's strengths, and he didn't do that. Uh, and it was welcome for us. And then on defense, they they were kind of kind of reminded me of us against Michigan. They were out of place a lot. Yeah, Tinsley's touchdown, there was literally nobody around him. Like me and Corey could have made that throw. Um, I think McElroy said that Joe Tessitore <laughs> would have made that would have made that throw. Um, and I don't know, like I was just very unimpressed by them. And I actually heard on the TV broadcast, PJ Fleck out of halftime. He was like, Oh, well, we're just going to keep using the plays that, uh, we're working. Well, dude, you had like three plays that worked the whole first half and he didn't do it again for the rest of the games. So I don't know what him and him and Schrocker were up to at halftime, but. Hey, we'll take it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, um, I want to shout out Ryan. Uh, sheared on YouTube. He's he's commenting. Um, and he is listening from Spring, Texas. So uh, we appreciate that, Ryan. Thank you for listening. We are recording right now at night, Sunday night. Typically, these are our Sunday mornings and then Wednesday at 9 Eastern. But obviously, we had come back from a wedding. So that's that's why we are where we are. Uh, but thank you, Ryan, for that. Before we turn over to the defense, Sean, I just wanted to We tweeted these stats. I thought they were worth maybe bringing up one more time. Um, By the way, Sean Clifford and Penn State now officially 10 of 9 when Clifford throws more than 30 passes. So above 500 now when when Clifford's able to throw uh, more than 30 passes. But what I wanted to mention, and also, by the way, he passed Trace McSorley on on the most completions in Penn State history. Um, But what I really wanted to mention – was the comparison of what Minnesota's defense had done previously to what Penn State offensively did. So Minnesota coming into this game, 5.6 yards per attempt allowed, Penn State put up 9.2. Minnesota third down conversion allowed, insane, 22%. Maybe it was I think it was either 22.9 or 21.9, regardless, in the 20s, which is nuts. Penn State 45%, which was a lot higher than Penn State's own conversion percentage. So that was a that was a huge, you could argue maybe the difference in the game. And then finally Minnesota rushing yards allowed uh, per carry, 3.71 Penn State 5.1 So all three of those statistics Minnesota coming in you know, maybe could be the difference. Penn State wins all three of those handily. Uh, perhaps the difference in those. Sean, any final thoughts on the offense? Um, obviously we're going to Talk a little bit more about Cliff a little bit later. Um, But any other points you wanted to mention specifically about anyone else on offense or or the scheme or or what have you?
1: Yeah. um, So going into this week, I said something along the lines of, we brought Mike Yursich in because we wanted him to be an upgrade over Ricky Ronnie and Kirk Schraka. And I think last night was what we wanted. We wanted that creativity. We wanted um, things to be innovative. Just things like the, the end around with Amari Evans. Like, yeah, like that's that's what I mean. He's he's a speed guy. He's probably your fastest guy on offense. So give him the ball and let him cook a little bit. So that was cool that he got he got a handoff and just running different things like a running back screen. Like that's. Yeah. Like when you have a guy uh, such as Nick Singleton and we've talked, we've highlighted how he's not the same back between the tackles as he is on the outside. That's a great way to get him out in space. So it was really cool to see Mike Yersich doing what we expected Mike Yersich to do. And yeah, the offense had their get right game and it came at the right time, and I think down you know, at Lash Building right now, there's a lot lot more confidence than there was a week ago at this time. And there's a lot more confidence among the fans, I believe, as well.
0: Uh, yeah, I would say so for sure. <laughs> um, I think that's that's uh, very obvious. I think, honestly, I think a lot of fans came out of this and probably did uh, pretty close to 180, a lot of that, to, again, to Clifford. Credit, but we'll get into that a little bit more. But I think overall the confidence of Mike Girsch definitely changed, um, just because the tight ends they get involved. Let's talk defense because you can make the same argument, Sean, that the confidence in Manny Diaz has been somewhat restored because of their performance. Um, just I want to reiterate, we talked on the show previously that we didn't think it was really a size issue. We highlighted it on the film breakdown on Twitter. Um, Again, hardcore PSUFB for those that aren't on Twitter yet with us. Um, It wasn't necessarily a size issue when it came to the Michigan game. It was just basically being out of position, maybe overthinking things, maybe putting, installing too many things. Our buddy Higgins mentioned that Manny Diaz doesn't have a great record out of a buy either. So maybe they just overprepared. Regardless of what happened in that Michigan game, The complete opposite happened in the Penn State-Minnesota game this past weekend. And I really think, when you look at this Penn State-Minnesota game, what was the reason why this defense looked so much better? I think it's really three things. Uh, Number one, they were playing downhill much more because there was less assignments, less responsibilities. They were just blitzing, and they were maintaining their gaps more. But there wasn't as much stunting going on. There wasn't as much last-minute changing of assignments going on. They didn't try to get too cute. They just said, you know what? They're going to try to run it at us, and we're going to stop them. And for the most part, they were able to do that. So I thought that was a big part of it. I thought another big part of it was the lack of dynamic quarterback play for Minnesota. They didn't really think they could do anything. Minnesota could do anything as far as throwing the ball or running the ball. And the few times they were able to to run it with a quarterback, they had success. But – And when they had the success running with the quarterback, all of a sudden they gave up a little bit more to Moe Ibrahim inside because then those linebackers take a second. But for most of the game, the linebackers were flying around the field. They were playing so downhill. Um, And then finally, probably what we wanted to see and what we finally saw was Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter both being on the field at the same time. Uh, Jacobs played more of his traditional Sam, that – Uh, that he played throughout his career and Carter played at the will, which is he's been playing for this entire season. Uh, Franklin did say afterwards that this was mostly because they felt they could get to a true box linebacker set with three true linebackers because they weren't worried about the pass. So that to me says that you're still going to see a decent amount of Sutherland, but they were clearly the better, the best defense they could be when they had Carter and Jacobs on there. So to me, those are the three things lack of dynamic play from the quarterback position, uh, the ability to play downhill and, and not really be concerned with too much over assignments or over install, just go play football. And then Jacobs and Carter being on the field at the same time. You couple those three things in with a wide out environment. I think it was pretty obvious why they were going to have so much more success. And again, throw in the cadence thing, right? Again, you can't really go to a, a crazy cadence when you're on the road in a wide out environment. You you get a little bit of a guessing game going on when you're playing defense in those situations. You start to figure out when the ball is going to get snapped. That helps out up front for your defensive line. So all those things made it a lot, just a, a clear black and white difference, Sean, uh, from that Michigan game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, defensive line, they were without chop Robinson last night. And I still thought the defensive line had a pretty good pass rush for most of the night. They were they were back in in the quarterback's face, and they they were very good against the run. Uh, and if you remember last week, it felt like every play, every first down, they were picking up at least six yards or seven yards. And then Michigan gets to use their whole playbook. Whereas last night we had Minnesota third and long most of the evening. And Minnesota coming into this game was the best at third down, on third down conversions. Last night, they were 2 of 13. And that's because we knocked them off schedule. And we talk about being on schedule a lot here and how important it is to, especially the best teams in America, Ohio State, Michigan, but it's really important to everybody. And we had them off schedule the whole game. And when you're off schedule with a young quarterback in a hostile environment, your offense isn't going to be able to do very much. And and they weren't. Uh, the linebackers, yes, yes, yes. We've been wanting Abdul Carter to start. He did a very good job. He does worry me against a team like Ohio State, though, that likes to throw the ball around the yard. Because he is not up to snuff yet in pass coverage. And you saw that last night. I actually thought one guy who did play well for – Minnesota. I want to I want to get his name right. It was the tight end, uh, Span Ford. Like he was he was running away from Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs, and they're both pretty fast guys. And he and the, on the one play, Abdul Carter kind of got fooled a little bit. He thought Span Ford was staying in the block. He ended up running right in front of him and, and getting a big gain. So he does scare me in pass guards, but overall he played a very good game. Uh, Curtis Jacobs was the Curtis Jacobs we expected and we need. Playing fast, playing loose, um, and really attacking the ball. He was in the backfield a bunch. And I was very impressed. I thought the middle linebackers probably had their best games of the year, both Kobe King and Tyler Ellison. That's they are both point. getting it done, uh, rushing the quarterback, and they were both very stout against the run. So maybe the lights come on for them, and God, it would be awesome if it did especially going into Ohio State. The secondary, when their number was called, they did the job. Um, they weren't tested a whole lot because Kirk Shiraka was more conservative than Ted Cruz in this game. But they, but they really, when, when it was time to play, Jair Brown had that interception. Uh, I thought Kalen King was back to being Kalen King. Uh, and Joey Porter Jr. had a good game. So really, really impressed by the defense as a whole. And kudos to Manny Diaz for, you know, just like criticized Mike Yuricic last week, we also criticized Manny Diaz. And I think deservedly so. I still stand by everything I said about Manny Diaz and how bad his scheme was last week. But 180 this week, because like Corey said, he kept it simple. Don't overthink this. Load the box. They have a, they have a, they have a young quarterback. And they have one of the best running backs in the in the Big Ten. What do you think they're going to do a lot of? They're going to run the ball. And our guys answered the bell. And by the way, Minnesota's offensive line, pretty big of physical offensive line. And we really didn't seem to struggle with the size last night.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Minnesota, as far as skill at the offensive line, probably not as good as Michigan's. But just straight up sheer size. They got some big boys up there, so and they've always had big guys up there, so yeah, that's a good point. I, I do, man. There's a lot of things I agree with what you said. I wanted to just rehighlight because before that third down conversion on that last drive, where Minnesota ended up scoring a touchdown, they were 0 for six. So, but it took a perfect pass and credit them. Uh, that was a perfect pass, perfect catch on the sideline. Dixon had great coverage. This is a great catch. Um, that was the first third down conversion they had in the game. So it took a pretty much perfect pass, perfect catch for them to uh to to get the offense really going. So, yeah, that that, that was big time. I th- I mean that one def- the deflection that Joey Porter Jr had. I mean, perfect in sync hip to hip turns around, locates the ball and then swats it away. He almost probably could have picked it off with his one hand. So, that was just that was just gorgeous um the the interception it looks like it was just an easy interception for Jair Brown. He's not gonna get a lot of credit for it. But it was Jair Brown not being fooled by the potential for the bubble screen and for him to stay over the top of that and for and for Kalen King to, to play that perfectly to be, you know, no he has help and to play that per I mean they they did a perfect it was like orchestrated, just just well done. And then he actually has a nice return on that too. He leads the team now with three interceptions on the season. He had six last year, so he's at nine interceptions now in a season and a half of football. so that's just that's just incredible that he's continued to be around the football. I want to rehighlight what you said about the linebackers because holy crap, I don't Jacobs looked so much more comfortable playing over there in the Sam spot. Uh, I agree with what you said about Carter. I'm not going to rehash that. And then Kalen or excuse me, Kobe King and Tyler Elson, we gave all them a lot of crap last week, and they, I mean, I don't know what happened. Maybe they needed a game. Maybe they needed a game like the Michigan game. I don't know, because they were, I mean, there were multiple times, and maybe it was just a whiteout that the juices were flowing, but Tyler Elson, early, had that huge TFL, and Jair Brown got up in his face, and I mean, they were just fired up from the get go. And that that to me was like a a big moment that you know that that happened. There was two plays back to back on the on Minnesota's sixth drive, which ended up being a three and out. Kobe King made a nice play in pass coverage. And then he came back and then he actually didn't end up getting the tackle, but he disrupted the play enough where they, they I think they got Moe Ibrahim for maybe a one yard gain. But he pretty much made both of those plays. So that was really nice to see. Um and then the crowd just I mean, five false starts in the first half. I mean they you People underestimate the wideout. I'm telling you, the Minnesota fans were, were talking about how they're going to, you know, before Tanner Morgan got hurt, they're like, oh, we're, we're going to come in and shock it. And and you can run the ball. You might be able to take the crowd out of it. But, I mean, five false starts in the first half is just, that's a lot even for a wideout. Um, and the ones that were back-to-back, like, not even snaps, like, on that third and 10 turned into a third and 20, like, that's to me something you have to think about and consider, uh, when when Penn State plays at home. So, yeah, overall defense played well. I thought Kaziah Izard played well when he was in. I wanted to give him some love there. I thought uh, uh, Vanover, when he gets his opportunities, He I didn't see him really at all in the Michigan game. He had a couple moments in this game. I don't know why he doesn't get as many opportunities. We don't know what the situation with Chop Robinson is. Uh, but we, you know... If Chop Robinson's able to come back, you feel a lot better about the defensive line, obviously against Ohio State. But but Vandover's playing well. Disa Isaac, I thought, played okay. Nothing crazy there. But but overall, the defensive line played a lot better, and they're, they're they were constantly hurrying, putting some sort of pressure. Whether or not the sacks really came, um, overall, pretty well done.
1: Yeah, and a big thing if you don't get a, a sack, pressures are you know, huge, especially against a young quarterback, because typically a young guy like that might, he's probably a one read, he's probably a one read guy. And if his first reads not there, ain't going to end well. Um, and again, we did a great job keeping him off schedule. Uh, Deisa isaac he almost did have a sack when we rushed three, that one play. And he was right in the backfield. And that's what I mean about, you got to be disruptive. and, especially against an inexperienced quarterback like that. That's a huge thing. When you yeah. play the CJ Strouds of the world, if you don't sack them, uh, it could come back to bite you. But even then, I'd rather have some pressure on him than just standing there like a statue.
0: Right. I would um, argue, Sean, that CJ Stroud doesn't break that tackle. Just from an athletic perspective, I think that Ethan guy is actually... I think he's more athletic. Than I think he's more athletic. And... <clears throat> I don't know if, if Stroud actually breaks that tackle, but to your point, yes, you got to make that play next week that you got away with this week. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Cause it's just too much to ask for our corners, even as good as our corners are to stay on a guy like Marvin Harrison, junior, the whole, way. and sometimes you'll have coverage on him, but he's going to make a crazy catch. Like we've highlighted, um, guarantee you next week, we're going to see crazy catches from Ohio state win, loser drop, uh, anyway, back to the, back to the, uh, Minnesota game. Uh, yeah. I mean, Vanover. anytime he gets on the field, it just feels like he makes an impact. I agree with you. It doesn't feel like he really played against Michigan and kind of think you sometimes need a guy like him, even against the elite teams, like a guy like, um, what was his name? Number 94 and the 2016 team, uh, that's event. Schwan, Evan Schwan. He had a sack against Ohio state in that game. Like, You need guys like that, like blue guys that are just, that just hustling, get after it and make the most of their opportunities. Um, That's a,
0: that's a perfect way to describe him. He is exactly that. He makes the most of his opportunities. I think he had a, had a, I don't know what he did in that Ohio play where he forced that fumble or whatever that ended up being a safety, but he got in there, caused some havoc. So yeah, he's, he's had some moments.
1: Yeah. And you need guys like that. Um, yeah, the defensive line as a whole, especially without, in my mind, our best edge guy, and that's Chop, really, really stepped up. And I was very, very, you know, I, I keep saying it, but I mean, it's true. I was very impressed by that unit as a whole because they're another unit that heavily criticized last week and answered the bell. And that's what you want to see. And I don't know what it's due to, but it says a lot about their character to be able to bounce back like that.
0: Yeah, I wanted to mention also a shout-out to Charlie Katcher. Uh, got a TFL. Looked really good when he was out for that play. Um has been just riddled with injuries, and so it was really nice to see him fly around and make a play on something and get a TFL. You could tell. You could just feel the passion, what that meant for him. And if he can provide even 15 to 20 snaps to give – if you're going to play – jacobs and you're going to play carter at the same time you're going to need a guy like catch here to come in and, and provide a blow and um if if button isn't going to be able to do it then you're going to need sutherland and and catch to, to step up and do those things so that was wasn't much and maybe grasping at straws but that's that makes it feel a little bit better as far as potential linebacker depth there a guy again who just hadn't had a real chance Just kind of got dealt a, a bad deck of cards a uh, bad hand of cards and, and to see him make a play in a wide out game. That that was cool to see.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, Micah Parsons said Charlie catcher is the best linebacker he ever played against in high school. So just a fun fact there. And that yeah, was
0: a he, drop right there. That was a name drop. How about
1: that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he came to play last night. Uh, and again, making the most of opportunities. And I totally agree. Like it looks like, I mean, in most games next week might be a little different just because of Abdul Carter versus Jonathan Sutherland in coverage. Um, and some of our, and our safeties in coverage, but there's going to be a lot of Abdul Carter Curtis Jacobs on the field these next, this next month. And, you're going to need your backups to step up. And one of the big things that I was crazy worried about going into this year was linebacker depth. And it looks like we might be developing some. Um, And we need it. And it looks like we might. And if the middle linebackers could turn the corner, we have two quality middle linebackers. I think that changes the complexity of this whole, I think that changes our whole defense. And it takes what's a good defense, which I even after the Michigan debacle last week, I still think it's a good defense, to maybe take that next step into being a really good to great defense.
0: Yeah. No, I I agree with that, too. I agree with that, too. Um, I don't know where I was going to go with that. Oh, I was going to say, be curious to see how much Sutherland... Is on the field for those obvious passing situations. Oh, now I remember too. Um, you you mentioned the safeties and coverage. I wanted to give a, a shout out to Jalen Reed. I thought he played better. Uh, had, I know he that 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 span forward had that that touchdown late in the game, and Reed was just the size advantage is not even fair i think that guy's gonna play in the nfl for a long time he just he's athletic he's big he, he looks like he's gonna be really good it already is really good uh but reed had a nice play on him earlier in the game where he was able to break up a pass on him on one-on-one coverage so size difference there is incredible reed also had a nice tackle i think on a third down to, to, to stop him short so um there were moments there were moments when things were looking pretty good there um uh, there was that one deep ball later in the game. I think Wheatley was in coverage. You know, I'd like to see them not get burned deep. Um, but overall, a lot more positives to take out of this than negatives, Sean.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Jalen Reed, if you remember, played really well against um, Ohio State last year. I was really impressed by the way he played, and he played well uh, this week. Uh he's another guy. Answered the bell from last week. Struggled last week, missed missed some key tackles. Uh, but I thought he tackled better. He was good in coverage. Uh, the safeties as a whole. Really, really good job. And that's a good point on Sutherland. Like, I could see us just going to a 4 5 look next week for most of the game. Now, the important thing to remember about um about uh Ryan day and Ohio state's offense is Ryan day loves to throw the ball, even though they really don't have to. I mean, if I'm Ohio state, if Ryan Day's listening and God, I hope he's not because I'm giving him tips. I just run the ball. I would just take what Michigan did and do that against us because we're going to be playing the pass. I mean, I think we're just going to sell out on that because we know Ohio state, we know what they do and we know they love to throw the ball and they love to throw the ball a bunch. So we'll see what happens, but that's just kind of, again, like we touched on, previewing the preview.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll have obviously a lot more to discuss with that moving forward here because um, it's something to pay attention to. You could argue that Jalen Reed, Sutherland, they could be the difference in a game like that. If they play extremely well, Daquan Hardy, they play extremely well. They give themselves the chance. um it, it, If you want to go down that road just a smidgen, it, it seems like you really want to have a guy like Chop Robinson back. I, I'm wondering if it was a precautionary thing like, hey, if we keep him out this game, we'll, we'll feel better about having him back. That's pure speculation, but you would really want to see Chop back for the Ohio State game. Um, Sean, I'm good on defense if you're good on defense. I want to get into special teams when whenever you're ready.
1: Let's get into special teams. Okay, so. Pretty good things to say.
0: Yeah, I, well, I, I will start, I guess, with special teams being the one thing I was scared of. And, I again, you don't see in the box score, you don't see on the, on the Twitterverse. Uh, Parker Washington, maybe because he didn't get to field any punts in the Michigan game, but had one muffed. That was like a knuckleball coming right at him. And then he had one he caught over his head and didn't fair catch and got killed. like to see that get cleaned up a little bit more. You don't, you really can't afford to have those kind of issues against Ohio State. So that's just something to think about there. I just wanted to mention it because, well, it, it, it popped off the TV screen multiple times.
1: Yeah, that punt return from Parker Washington when he catches it over his head and nearly and, and gets pulverized. I mean, don't really know what he was thinking on that. I guess he's trying to make a play, and he probably didn't know the guy was coming. He was probably so focused on catching the ball that he didn't even think to put his hand up and just call fair catch like he should have. But, but hey, I mean, he lived to see another day. He didn't get hurt. He didn't fumble the ball. Um, but you can't have that. You got to be safer than that because next time – I mean, you something bad could happen. You might not you might not fumble the ball, but you could get yourself killed that way because you're not ready for that hit. And that's why fair catches exist. And if you're trying to and I don't know, Corey, if you've ever caught if you ever if you've ever tried to catch a punt, it is a very difficult thing to do. Like when I played football, we would you know, sometimes they would have like alignment, try to catch the ball after practice. And if you get, if you catch, if you catch the ball, that means, you know, maybe a lighter practice tomorrow or you can end practice early. And it's a hard thing to do because you don't know where the ball is going. And it's so hard to keep track of where you are on the field. And if you have guys coming at you, I mean, that's a whole other animal. So long story short, if it's questionable, Call a fair catch. Call a fair catch next time, Parker Washington. But I don't want to be too hard on him because he played an awesome game offensively.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's anything where I'm like seeing a trend or anything, but I just thought I want to mention it. Uh Barney Amore, I thought wasn't anything crazy. Uh Penn State really didn't have to use him too much. I thought I thought he did a good job with flipping field position. Um, but but nothing really that was well, no monster punt, no uh you know, no crazy stop at the 1-inch yard line or anything like that. Um but but overall I I thought Barney did good. He ended up with let me get the actual average for for the folks at home here. Uh four punts for 42.3 average, long of a 48 yarder. So, again, yeah, nothing crazy there. Jake Penninger, one field goal 41 yarder. I feel like Again, it's good for him to get some confidence. And for Jake to put multiple field goals in a row in the back of the net is big going into a game like Ohio State. I know it was close, but I I really think 45 and under is his sweet spot. So 41-plus, I'm feeling pretty good now that he's going to make those. And then the other thing we really need to mention, Dom DeLuca getting his hand on that ball, getting that blocked punt. It still ended up being like a 30-yard punt after the fact, but – Still a, a good moment there from Dom DeLuca, who actually had a pretty good game defensively as well.
1: Yeah, again, making the most out of, out of opportunities and making, I should say, making the most of your opportunities. Uh, and Dom DeLuca is doing that. And Dom DeLuca just a walk on from Wyoming area, just doing, just doing his thing, man. And you love to see it. Uh, you know, Penninger, he's six of eight on the year uh, for field goals. Uh, not bad, honestly. Not bad. Um, you, you want it to be a little better, but I've seen worse. <laughs> and it was a, it was a, when he made that kick, it was to tie the game 3 3. I mean, if he misses it, the complexion of the game could change because then we're down 3 nothing, And then people start getting restless and it's just things, things could snowball in college football. You all know that. I mean, and it was it was a pretty big moment in the game. And it was it was a good moment for him. And he made all his extra he made all his extra points. We know the issues we've had, uh not just him, but with the unit as a whole. Looks like knock on wood, those extra points have been have been solid for uh past few weeks now. So good to see. I thought over and I agree with you with Barney. He didn't have to be spectacular uh on Saturday, but he was he got the job done. Um and shout out to the long snapper. You you do a good job, Crystal. Yeah. I that, see
0: that's a a nice shout out there. I respect I that. I see you, Chris. Um
1: yeah, I thought that was good
0: kickoff specialist. I uh, I thought Parker did a good job there as well actually. So um, Minnesota, I think their returner had, had previously taken a kick return back so for a touchdown, so there was no issues there. That's that's always good to see. Um, okay, that is that is uh pretty much the wrap on the special teams. When special teams does not have a long conversation, that's that's typically a good sign. Um, Sean, did you want to add anything to that? Uh,
1: just that Daquan Hardy was returning kicks. Yeah, um, that's a good point to mention. Yeah, we um we talked about that a little bit that you might see Nick Singleton, not get as many touches on kick return. And we didn't keep on Lee was unavailable last night. He was there. I want to mention that he was on the sideline uh, and I believe he warmed up, but he was on the side. He, but he didn't play. Uh, so knowing that, that we only had two scholarship running backs available made a lot of sense not to put Nick Singleton back on kick return. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Like Corey said, the last time we we spend on special teams unless there's big kick return for a touchdown or punt return.
0: Yeah, yeah. The uh, I think it's it's safe it's safe to speculate at this point that it's, it's most likely an injury of Kevon Lee. He had that one run against Michigan and he came right back out. So um, that that's the guess there. Again, nothing official, but that's the guess there. Um, okay, I want to wrap up this kind of discussion before we get to the fan questions with with sean clifford and i know we kind of already dabbled around it but we talked clifford aller a bunch you know this to me sean was the the best really thing that could happen for for penn state right now because whether you like it or not james franklin and company have done a fantastic job with how they have orchestrated this transition between clifford to Aller, which is eventually going to happen whether it happens in two weeks or whether it happens at the end of the season. Drew Aller has got a lot of meaningful snaps. He's played in at least a lot of games. He's got to see a lot of different looks. He's got to see Clifford battle adversity. He's seen Clifford, uh, you know, play extremely well, play poorly. He's kind of got to see it all. He's He's been on both sides of the blowout as well, which I think is important to be a part of. Um, the staff has done a graceful job so far with, with getting Aller in getting him some time he's he's played a couple of fourth quarters now which not a bunch of throws but he's been able to manage and manage an offense and i think that's an important part of it but now going into the biggest game of the season you have your starting six-year quarterback who just threw four touchdown passes he has uh do i want to say the same amount of interceptions as cj stroud i don't know if cj stroud throw an interception to iowa because if he did, let me see here. Yeah, he did. So Stroud actually has more interceptions than Sean Clifford, believe it or not. And he only has three more passing attempts than Sean Clifford. So uh, just keep that in mind. That Sean Clifford, although his mistakes look damning, at the end of the day, he's only turned the ball over three times. Now he has 13 touchdown passes through the air. So he has 17 total touchdown passes or 17 total touchdowns on the season. He's now playing, he's arguably his best football. And you have a more than capable backup behind him. I I don't know how you could feel better about the quarterback situation as we head into the end of October, Sean, than than what we have right
1: now. Well, I mean, I think you could. Uh, If Cliff, because you could argue this was an outlier. Because he didn't play that great against Central Michigan. he didn't play well against Northwestern. And he didn't really play and he didn't play well against Michigan. Uh so I would argue you could feel better. Um, but it's important that coming off of, you know, some mediocre to just not not good games, uh, to get it right and to have a good game and really be one of the reasons that you blew out what's a in my mind, a decent Minnesota team. I I don't think they're quite as good as I thought they were, but they're they're a decent team, uh, especially defensively. And I feel overall pretty good about the quarterback situation. I think it's pretty – and I think it's good that there isn't the black cloud hanging over the quarterback room right now like there was going into Minnesota. And that's kind of clear right now. That Sean Clifford's the guy going into Ohio State. I mean, is he the number one guy in America I'd want going in? Uh, or not, uh, we're hosting Ohio State, but going into the Ohio State game? No. Uh, but on the Penn State roster, I think that answer is yes, as long as he is healthy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I should probably reiterate the best you can feel about the situation, kind of knowing what Sean Clifford is. I mean, yeah, I, uh, you could take a. Uh, a Sean Clifford that's done what he did in the Minnesota game every game, and you'd feel a lot better. But knowing what Sean Clifford is, it, it's hard to really think, you know, consistency-wise, you know, that was as that was as good as the game you're probably going to get from Sean Clifford on, on Saturday. Uh, and honestly, I think Clifford could throw – if Clifford can throw an interception, they can still beat Ohio State. I mean, I, I think that's not going to be the end of the world. If, he, if there's one turnover, I think there's going to be a lot of other bigger – bigger things in that game that matter more. Um, But the point is what you said, there's no big black cloud hanging over the quarterback position. That's, That's the most important part, in my opinion, because there's a very easy scenario I can see in my head where Saturday goes awful because of stuff like that. And if Sean Clifford isn't able to turn things around after that interception, let's say he throws another one, then you bring Aller in, and then, then at that, all bets are kind of off. And so that could have spiraled terribly, extremely quickly. And so credit Sean Clifford for bouncing back. Credit Mike Gersetch for getting Clifford's confidence back. You know, credit, credit everyone who deserves the credit. I also want to give credit to Drew Aller and, and Christian Bayer because they have anytime Clifford does anything, those are the first two dudes you see on the sideline going up to him. And Drew Aller, I'm pretty sure, was the first dude that went up to him after the interception. I know it can, at the end of the day it can just be coach-speak stuff, but you don't see that at every other program all the time. I mean, we, you don't even see that at Penn State all the time. So I, I think that's an important part of it, too. you got to credit everybody, not just Clifford, for his, abil- his ability to turn the, that around in the Minnesota game, but to not feel like there is no hope against Ohio State at the quarterback position is is an important part of this. I mean, you could argue in that 2016 upset, the reason they were able to upset Ohio State was because they truly believed they could upset Ohio State. Before the Minnesota game, at least around Happy Valley, there was no belief in that. And I think after what Clifford was able to do, at least show that he has that. Because we'd seen it before, not this season yet. And to see it this season at least instills a little bit more confidence that yeah, if if the perfect storm happens, Clifford can get the job done. So, I I guess that's the best you can really ask for at this point with Sean Clifford. I mean, he's not a guy you can count on for four touchdowns, but he's a guy that if if things happen and receivers and tight ends help and you get some running game, you know, he has potential to get the job done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if he has things going well, he's going to be fine. I mean, that's one thing he has shown through his years as the quarterback. I mean, if he's, if everything is going wrong, he's not the guy to be Superman and put the team on his back. That's just not him. And, but we know that. And we don't know if anybody on the team is capable of that yet. Just, just don't. I mean, you could look at, the shiny five-star recruit. And again, want to reiterate, we both think Drew Aller is going to be good. We do. Um, But right now I have zero confidence in him to, you know, put on the Cape and be Superman. I I just, I just don't yet. I want to touch though, on what you said about the quarterback room and how healthy it seems, because all across college football, You know, but there's always five-star quarterback recruits, and a lot of them are egomaniacs, and they're me guys, and all they care about is themselves, people. uh, And um, I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, Spencer Rattler and Tate Martell. And they're they're overinflated by these recruiting services that, look, uh, we follow and I follow recruiting closely. You guys all know that. Um, but they haven't proven anything yet. And they think the world owes them something because they were a five-star recruit in high school. And I do not see that at all with Drew Aller. And I love that about Drew Aller because yeah, he could be on the sideline pouting and off by himself and not supporting Clifford or anything like that. But no, that's not him. Like James Franklin, actually had to pull, uh, Drew Aller and Christian Veyer off the field because they were they were out celebrating with Clifford and they had to get the extra point after the, after the touchdown uh, to Theo Johnson. And it's because they were just, they were just so excited to see their guy step up and make a play. And that's a sign of a very, very healthy quarterback room. And I I think that means something because like you said, Drew Aller right now, if he's smart, I think he is, he's going to be like a sponge just absorbing all this information that he's learning from Sean Clifford. And if you have a big ego and you have a big head, you're not going to do that because you already think you know all the answers. So that's big on Drew Aller.
0: Yeah, and I would just add to that that – oh, man, I'm just blanking today. Um, That – Touchdown pass, where they're out celebrating. I mean, they're celebrating because they're happy for Clifford, but also, the more touchdown passes Sean Clifford gets to throw, the more Drew Aller gets to play. <laughs> so, I mean, the faster they get up into a lead where they can, you know, put a him in to to get some experience that you know the more he gets to play. So, there's also a benefit to Sean Clifford playing well as far as Drew Aller's growth as well, which people tend to not really remember when they have this kind of comparison.
1: That's a good point. Uh, if the backup court, or if the starting quarterback is excelling and he's leading a blowout, well, the backup quarterback's going to get in at some point, unless you know they're just running up the score. Um, so yeah, it. I think if um, if you expect if you were to tell Corey and I that Drew Aller was going to get in and play, we would think Cliff got pulled or he wasn't starting. If you told us that going into this week and no, it's because we blew them out and it was, it was awesome. And it's always awesome to see Aller get experience because next year, unless Bayer beats him in, in the, um, in the spring or the fall, which I don't think either of us are expecting. He's the guy. So having that valuable experience before he gets out and plays, um, is crucial and now he's played in front of a whiteout Al crowd, albeit in mop-up time, but still he got to play at Jordan Hare Stadium. And now he's got to play in front of a whiteout crowd. So really, really cool. And I'm I couldn't be more excited for Drew Aller's development.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Um let's go to some fan questions now, because we're to that point. Again, hardcore PSUFB is the best place to Check out the fan questions. Um, I think we have three this week. Three? Th- three this week that I want to talk about. This one, actually, Kara was in the YouTube chat earlier. Um, and so, don't know if she's still around, but she's a huge fan of the show. We appreciate her. She's on Twitter a bunch. Um, but we'll start with her as soon as this pops up here. We'll. There we go. So post-Minnesota fan questions. First one's from Kara. I would agree that Penn State played some better co- complimentary football this week. What is your biggest takeaway compared to last week? Linebacker play, offensive line, better tackling. So not just the biggest takeaway, Sean, in the sense of the Minnesota game, but as far as if you had to compare the, the, the progress made uh, when comparing the Michigan game to the Minnesota game, what stood out to you?
1: I think it has to be the linebackers. Uh, I said last week that after the Purdue game, we said the offensive line had to be better and the linebackers had to be better. And the offensive line did get better uh, before the Michigan game, and even I thought the offensive line probably played better in the Michigan game than they did in the Purdue game. But linebackers didn't get any better. Or at least it didn't feel like it. Like they just they had an awful game last week, and then this week to get in there and seems like almost all of them had their best game i mean at least two middle linebackers and uh, curtis jacobs did so it was just night and day and it's it's not like we did anything crazy in in the bye week it's just better gap discipline and playing smarter and being in position so again uh, a phrase that we use a lot on here is not reinventing the wheel and they didn't have to do that, and they kept it simple, and it was it was fun to watch them fly around because that's what when Manny Diaz's defense is going good, that's what we see, and um, yeah, I think it has to be the linebackers in my mind.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, but for the sake of for the sake of debate, I will say the offensive play calling. I just thought. They try to get Clifford in rhythm more than they tried early on. And and again, I know there's a three and out on that first drive still, but Mitch Tinsley just, I mean, he even said after the game, like, yeah, I didn't know where the sticks were, and he bounced the wrong way. Um, But he easily picks up that first down if he just knows where the first down is. So that that was kind of on him. But just in general, obviously, they try to get the tight ends involved a lot more. They were more creative when they got first downs with the tempo, they were more creative with the end around, the screen. Just, just different things kind of going on there, um, and really you could argue Mike Gersich's two best offensive play calling games have now both been the whiteout games, um, which I don't know if he gets energy off of it, but I mean that's just kind of the vibe that I'm getting. And so um, I just thought the Minnesota defense was kind of on their heels at times too. Like they, Parker Washington comes in motion a bunch and they were trying to make some sort of switch when Parker Washington kind of came in motion. And, and a few times, I don't even know if, if Minnesota was able to to get that in. So uh, I agree with you as far as the linebacker play goes, I'm just going to say the second best, probably. I thought of the offensive play calling when it's all set in was a lot better um, and, and really had to be. And it was so.
1: I like that answer because that, that would be my second too. Um, they were, it's was just so much more innovative and um, we had Minnesota really fooled the whole game. It just felt like they were constantly on their heels and they really didn't know what to expect. So a lot of credit to Mike Yurcich for that.
0: Yeah. This next question comes from Aaron. Aaron's obviously very active on Twitter with us. Um, we're going to ignore some of these questions. I don't want to get too down the Ohio state rabbit hole. So I'm going to kind of change his question a little bit. Um, And I'm really going to focus on that second chunk there where he says, is the two tight end set our best option versus Ohio State? Uh, He says, seems all three tight ends are better than our number three wide receiver. Also helps the run game. I want to focus on that, not necessarily with Ohio State, but just in general. Is it best to go to a 21 personnel moving forward most of the time? Obviously, you're not going to run it every time. But, Sean, I would argue that, yes, having the Whatever I I would probably argue probably Strange and Johnson or Strange and Warren I think Strange is your is your best overall tight end right now obviously Theon Johnson flashed heavily there, uh but but right now I would still put Strange as the number one especially since that blocking that Aaron mentions, um, but yeah I mean, not in every situation because I think Trey Wallace is having some seriously good moments and we don't know what the situation really is with Keandre Lambert Smith right now so. Yeah, I I would say yes, but there's obviously a caveat to you know that depends on the situation. So I feel a lot better though about the 21 personnel after what Theo Johnson just did. But again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the pod. I'm curious to see how that holds up against man coverage, which I think we'll see a little bit more of against Ohio State this week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um look, I'm a big believer in trying to get your best playmakers on the field as often as possible. And it's no secret that we've struggled with that our receivers have struggled, but especially I mean Tinsley and Parker, I mean the problem is neither of them in my mind are alphas, but they're both good players. But then when you get past them, you get A whole lot of inconsistency, frankly, from Keandre Lambert Smith, and then right now, and they might get better. You get a lot of mediocrity, and knowing that, I think having Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson on the field as often as possible is important. And yeah, I think having two tight ends, like like Corey said, like sometimes we're going to spread you out. We're going to use. I want to see more speed on the field. Uh, but right now, yeah, I think having those tight ends uh, on the field. I, the first part of your question, I actually admittedly, because I was getting ready for the wedding, I actually didn't know Jackson Smith and Jigma got hurt again. Um, I don't think so, he got hurt. I thought he, I thought I saw he left the field though, limping. I,
0: from what there are, what they're saying is that he hit his pitch count, is what they're, what Ohio ah, State's okay. putting out. Now, okay. Who knows, you know, how much is, Camouflage, and I would I would say this uh, since Aaron, since this, you know the Smith and Jigley got brought up, I think he's gonna play. I don't think he's gonna be a hundred percent. I yeah. also don't really think it matters in the grand scheme of things if he is a hundred percent because uh, was Egbuca, yeah, Harrison Egbuk- and Fleming, Fleming. are. More than capable to do whatever Ryan Day wants to do. They're not going to be. I mean, you could argue they are a little like he's Jxn. Jxn is the best, but well, the best. I'm Marvin Harrison Jr. In my opinion, is probably eventually going to be better. But um, I'm not too. I, I going into the highest State game. That's not something I'm crazy focused on. To be honest with you, I think it matters, but really, I I think it's gonna be won or lost in different places and we'll we'll get we'll get to that. I promise you. We'll get to it. Um obviously we'll have our preview on Wednesday night again live on YouTube at 9 Eastern. Um, let's go to the next question. Thought this was a was a was a good question as well. We'll wait for it to kind of flip over. Um and this is our final fan question of this episode. If we can get it. Three two, one. Three, two, one. Maybe. I can cheat. I'll just cheat. How about that? There we go. Um, this is from James and James says, what changes scheme wise for Ohio State? And then he mentions all the weapons. How does Penn State run the ball against that defensive line? Again, I don't wanna go crazy down the Ohio State rabbit hole. Um, but I we get it. You guys are excited for the Ohio State game. It's the biggest game on the schedule for a reason. Um, I just want to focus Sean, on that first part of the question. What changes scheme wise, and and I'm assuming this is defensively scheme wise. In my opinion, it changes pretty drastically. It, it's not going to be what you expect. You're, they're 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 going to try to put you into a four-two-five look, and then they're going to try to run out of it. So I'm curious to see how the linebackers hold up. Sean, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think we touched on this earlier. I think having those three safeties on the field at the same time, you're going to see a lot of that, I think, because that's what they do. I mean, Ohio State loves to spread you out. And then, you know, the, but they also have those running backs that will give you nightmares as well. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a whole different scheme than Michigan's, and I'm sure most of you already know that. That you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and they are dominant, but they just do it differently. They spread you out, take less, put less guys in the box, do some do some RPO stuff, and yeah. But to match their athletes, to me, you need your best athletes on the field, and. Abdul Carter is one of your best athletes, but he just scares me a little bit in pass coverage, and I just worry that they're going to see that and they're going to come across field and crossing routes and kind of use crossing and kind of give us those the classic crossing routes, depth of a thousand cuts. And the thing with <laughs> the thing with Ohio State is. Uh, a lot of teams will take those crossing routes and take them for 15 yards. O- Ohio State will take them and go 60 yards. So that's what we have uh that that's what we have to look forward to this week. Well, not necessarily the 60-yard passing games, but that's going to be that's going to be what they try to do.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I would just add to all of that one potential positive twist is CJ Stroud's not a running quarterback. And so, we're talking about are the edges playing responsibly. Are they playing disciplined? You don't really have to worry about CJ Stroud running with the ball. Now he's some mobility to him. He's not a statue. He's not Aiden O'Connell back there, uh, but he is not Troy Smith. He's not Pryor. He's not Braxton Miller. He's not you know any of those guys. He, he's I'd give him a little bit more than Haskins, but but not by not by much if we're comparing Ohio State quarterback. So he's gonna he's he's gonna sit back there and when he throws, he's gonna try to throw. He's not gonna try to run. And again, read option, that stuff isn't really gonna be a concern. So that does make me feel a smidgen better as far as stopping the run. But obviously there's plenty of wrinkles you can still add. So uh thank you to all three of you for the questions. Again, Twitter's the best place to do it. Uh, and, and you can just DM us the questions. I know um we got another question regarding um, from Chris Lions. Uh, I won't say they're a handle, but Chris uh, reached out to us, asked us about the the downfield wide receiver blocking. We, we hinted on it a little bit with Tinsley. Um, I went back as best I could to look at some of it, Sean. I didn't see anything that was glaringly obvious bad. They, we also didn't run very many bubble screens in this game. There, there wasn't as much bubble screens as it was hitches and stuff like that. So um, – I thought it was okay. Nothing crazy. I thought the uh, pitch route or the pitch that that Singleton had. I thought the receiver blocked pretty well on that side. But yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's like Chris Godwin and Deshaun Hamilton level run blocking out there. But I don't think it's a liability either. So just just kind of keep that in mind, John. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it could be better, uh, but like you said, um, I don't think it's atrocious by any stretch. Um, like we said, maybe the t- maybe the screenplay with Singleton, maybe Tinsley could have held his block, but I mean, I have to go back and see it because like Corey said, he's probably running a decoy route. And sometimes it's hard because the cornerback will pick up on that and just run by you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're still in the midst of your route. Um, so sometimes that's difficult, but overall, I mean, nothing's popped out to me like, Oh, these receivers can't block. Um, really nothing. Like I said, that's really jumped out at me for the blog. You might be able to answer you better with that though.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think maybe like Keandre Lambert Smith last year, I think struggled on some of the pass protect, past blocking on the bubbles. Um, but, but I hadn't seen stuff like that as glaringly obvious this time around. So, Um, thank you for all those questions we appreciate that as always again at hardcore psufb is the best place to dm us or tweet us your your questions for the week okay sean we're um we're actually wrapping this one up if you made it this far in the episode we appreciate it make sure you're following wherever you're listening to the podcast if you're on youtube please make sure to like the video and subscribe um we do have a another five-star review we're at 84 now. And again, the goal is to get to 90 before the end of the season. You guys have kind of turned it on as of late. We got a couple more, so we appreciate that. Um, again, I'm trying to get to 90. If you send us one in, if you do a five star review on Apple or you do a five star rating on Spotify, let us know. We'll send you a sticker. We'll read it on the show, and we'll obviously put it on YouTube as well. So this one comes from shoopdahoop de Hoop, 156. It's a great name there. I don't. I wonder if maybe that's a That's a a burner account for uh, former defense coordinator, Shoop, Bob Shoop. Uh, Probably not. but
1: It's some played on the team. Maybe it's him.
0: That's true. There we go. Um, He says, Michigan game, five stars, great insight by you guys. Simple. That took Shoop to Hoop all of 10 seconds to do. So we appreciate that. It's super simple, but it helps us, uh, and, and it means a lot. So Shoop to Hoop, make sure to reach out to us. We'll get your sticker sent your way. Uh, I don't have any news to report on the merchandise, um, so hopefully we'll get some new news there. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for the five-star review. If you made it this far in the episode, we'd really appreciate it, so so thank you guys for that. Um, Sean, I wanted to just say final thoughts on our, our, our Minnes- <clears throat> Minnesota game based off of our predictions. Um, I had 27-13, Penn State win, You had 24-17 Penn State win. We both had them covering. Paul Clifford had 28-17, so got the Minnesota score correctly and um, had Minnesota scoring the most points compared to us three. So so good job by Paul Clifford there. Um, I had Penn State having three rushing touchdowns. They actually only ended up with two. So joke's on me. And you had Catron Allen over 100 yards, which Ktron Allen and Singleton combined were over 100 yards. But I think they both ended up short of 100 yards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did get the Minnesota points, right? So way to go me. I think that's the first time I've done that all year. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, But yeah, I I was happy that they blew my expectations away. And they really did. Uh, We looked a lot sharper than I thought. And I did think that this would kind of stabilize things a little bit, but now I kind of think it has fans even more optimistic about, you know, potentially pulling an upset next week. And I'm, I mean, we'll see. Uh, but I think, Penn, I think Penn State fans are in a way better headspace than they were. Uh, I also want to mention the five star review. Uh, first off, thank you. Uh, secondly, we got some feedback on Twitter. Uh, two that was like, we were kind of the cool heads after last week. And I mean, we had a lot of criticism, but we weren't like saying to burn the place down and we're done and we're screwed and all this. And there was a lot of panic and I get the panic. I was nervous too about a potential nosedive. I was very clear with that, but I mean, I was like, guys, we got to see what happens. I mean, because we don't know yet. And just because it had happened previously, Doesn't mean it's going to happen again, and I brought out the stat that we're four and one after in our last five games after getting blown out by twenty or more points. Well, now we're five and one in our last six games. Um, So it was good. So I I guess what my point in saying that is, uh, don't always go with the crowd and try to think things through yourself, because when you do that and and you keep a cool head. A
0: lot of times you'll be right. So. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. Of I, I forget who said that, but yeah, someone reached to, you know, tweet us and you know, you guys were, you guys were right, uh, which we don't really care about. But the fact that you know they they tuned in, and listened, and, and was like, right. you know, what, these, these these guys are pretty cool. That that's what you know mattered to me. So we appreciate that a bunch. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Sean. Just I like a an elevator pitch thought on Ohio
1: State. What I think about Ohio State or what I think about our chances against Ohio State.
0: Whatever way you want to kind of just preview or, or 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 tease the episode for Wednesday night.
1: Okay, uh, we're playing a great team Saturday. Great team. Uh, I would rank them number one in America if I had if I if I got the chance to rank them. Um. I'll say this, though. James Franklin, the last few years recruiting, has um, really recruited toward beating Ohio State and had that in mind with bringing in his classes. And this is the first time we're going to have a whiteout against Ohio State since 2018. And in 2018, we only lost by a point. In 2016, we beat them. So, in our last two meetings against them in a whiteout, we've actually we won by three. They won by one. So, I get so they were both close games, but we ended up winning. We ended up winning by a little bit more. So, um, actually, it's not going to be a whiteout. It's going to be a strikeout. Damn. Uh, but in our last two games with Ohio State with crowds, um, we've won. Or, or we've been in the game and, and we've had a chance to win. So we got a shot. I, I would say it's a puncher's chance, but I'll take a puncher's chance over what most of us were feeling last week.
0: Yeah. I was just going to let you go and wait for you to figure it out on your own. So that was funny. Um, I will say this. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you watched. I mean, if you watched the Ohio State Iowa game, Ohio State's offense was took the day off, and they still won pretty easily. That's mostly because Iowa's offense was not just bad, but they were atrocious. They were literally giving Ohio State points on their possessions. If they just would have punted every time, they probably wouldn't have lost by as much. Uh, which you can take in two ways. One, their defense is really good, and that should scare you. Like, they can win different ways, which is probably the, the way we would spin that if Penn State won like that. But two, they're human beings, and they took a, they took off the game on offense against Iowa. I mean, they had multiple chances to score touchdowns and they had to settle for field goals. So they are maybe not as human as most offenses in the country, but they do have you know they are humans at the end of the day. I love your point about Ohio State playing at Penn State and and, and how Franklin has geared his teams to hopefully maybe not win every time, but at least compete every time. Again, we said this two weeks ago when I, when we knew the sky wasn't falling that I feel just as worried about playing Illinois as I do Ohio state. And that's not because Illinois is just as talented as Ohio state. I just think schematically we line up better with Ohio state. I mean, we, we talked about the Michigan game being a PJ Mustafer and a linebacker game. well, the Ohio State game is more of a Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Daquan Hardy, Jalen Reed game. And to me, that's better in a, in, in Penn State's favor. And to me, that means Penn State, you said a, a puncher's chance. I think this whiteout reminded me of, of how much a Penn State environment, when they really want a game, how much, when their backs are up against the wall, which they were against Minnesota, uh, as, as far as needing a win, how much the crowd can impact the game. And that is something that Ohio State, like you mentioned, has not had to deal with with Penn State for for, for college football-wise quite some time. So uh, I will say they have more than just a puncher's chance. I think when we break it down, you're going to find me realizing that, that this Penn State team going into Saturday – has a chance to beat Ohio State.
1: Yeah, I mean they got a chance and it's really it's not so much about us because I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna play a good game we usually do against Ohio State. They just just have so much talent. And let's, they beat us every year guys. I mean I'm kind of and this might be hot takey this might be like bad fan I'm tired of seeing the block punt or block kick tired of looking at it and it's nothing against any of those guys i love that night but it's like it happened so long ago and that's the last time we beat them it's one thing if we beat them regularly or at least semi-regularly but it just kind of reminds me and i don't know if any other fans think this way that we oh yeah that's the last time we beat them in 2016 when i was in school and it just feels like we're due to do it (laughs) And maybe that should make me more confident because it's been so long and eventually you got to beat them because we do have good players and, you know, we might get them on an off day, but this Ohio safe team feels different this year. It looks like they fixed their problems on defense and they have that explosive offense they always have. So, but being at home and having a viable offensive line. Yeah. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna play a good game next week. I'll say that.
0: Yep. And I think Sean, if you're good, we can wrap it up like that. Um, I will close it out by saying this, and and we appreciate you for listening. Again, follow if you haven't already. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Like the video, five star reviews, all that stuff. I will leave it with this. The big blue dog. Let me go to my own personal camera for this one. I'll leave it with this. As, as we start looking at Penn State, Ohio State, the guy that we started the show talking about, the guy that Penn State fans were booing before the Minnesota game, has his final shot to beat Ohio State. I haven't done it yet in his career. He's made that a talking point that that's something he wants to do. And for the first time in a long time, he has the crowd behind him. He has the Buckeyes coming into his backyard. And with a loss, most likely meaning the end of any sort of playoff conversation, Big Ten East Championship, it's very likely that they could potentially turn to Drew Aller and and prepare for 2023. So you could very well be looking at Sean Clifford's final starting game as a Nittany Lion. And the dude has absolutely nothing to prove and absolutely nothing to lose. He is going to probably end up being one of the most prolific passers in Penn State history. He's over 10,000 total yards. The only other person was tracing sorely to do that in Penn State history. The only thing really left on his schedule or on his resume goes through Ohio State. If he wants to be on the Trace McSorley route, Rushmore, he needs to win a Big Ten Championship. And the only way he's going to get a chance to do that is to also beat Ohio State, which he hasn't done. I don't know what that means. He can come out and maybe throw four interceptions because he's so jacked up. But I think the big blue dog is going to go down swinging. And a guy like that, I don't know if I put a lot of money against somebody that has nothing to lose. So I'm excited for that excited for you guys to listen Sean I'm not gonna let you speak we're gonna end the show on that we appreciate y'all we'll see you Wednesday night thank you guys so much cheers
1: thank you